The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we are grateful for the time to sit here and listen to your word and be taught by your spirit. Will you now do that here in this room? Will you teach? Will you press into each of us, whatever place that we're in and whatever it is that we have filling our minds and hearts right now, will you, will you meet us? Will you calm us before your word and press into us truth about who we are and who you are, how you are towards us, what awaits us? Father, would you speak to us clearly now to speak to us words of encouragement and hope will you grow us up will you bring us into fullness into maturity thank you Lord for your promise to meet us here we, we ask you now to open your word to us and teach thank you Lord in Christ's name we pray amen When you grow up playing a lot of baseball, like I did, inevitably you end up having opportunity to be on both sides of the mercy rule. <laughs> the details of that rule vary from league to league, but essentially the situation is that one team is beating the other so badly that by rule they just stop the game and everybody goes home. I played on some teams so bad that we spent most of the season, game after game, just trying not to be mercy ruled yet again. It was humiliating. Everybody, nobody wanted to experience that, but everybody wanted to give that kind of mercy. And that's kind of funny because in all the rest of life, it's actually the reverse. In all the rest of life, when we are terrible and we are under somebody else's power and being torn apart, we really want them to have mercy on us, but then we find that we've actually left Little League and nobody wants to give it. Mercy. It's decidedly sweet when you receive it in need, but it just isn't very prevalent in the world. Maybe intermittently here and there, yeah. You'll find some people who occasionally will, will do something, especially if, if the, the odds are, you know, the stakes are kind of low or if the mercy giver is playing with house money, so to speak. But consistent, abiding, costly mercy is not what comes natural to the natural person. It's not prevalent here in this world. Not much. It's hard to come by. But it's what Jesus made us and is making us, his people, to be merciful ones like he is. It's what we're made to be, and it's what we find, where we find the good life that we actually long for, not by taking what we deserve or what we think we deserve or what, what seems right and just in this moment personally, but as merciful people who show mercy to others around us. That's what we're going to be considering this morning in the fifth beatitude from Matthew chapter 5. We've been moving through these Beatitudes one by one. We're listening to Jesus teach us what Christians are and what we are to strive to grow in. 
And that's an important thing to grasp here. This is none of this. None of this is a recipe as to what you follow, you do this and that, and then you become a Christian. Actually, reverse. He's actually teaching his disciples, teaching those of us who are Christians, what he has made us to be already and what we are to grow into as, as we mature, as we grow up. We become increasingly like this. We pursue it. And today, verse 7, there's a bit of a pivot in all of these Beatitudes. Up to this point, the, the first four Beatitudes, we've been looking more at ourselves and our own brokenness, our own need and our own longing. But now, this morning, we, we turn from that to how it is that we behave, how we act and interact with the others around us. It's a turn that actually sits quite appropriately here in this progression through these verses. So I'm going to read the text, just one verse long, and then I'll break it into half, in half to address its two parts. So this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, the fifth beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's going to Break that in half and deal with the first part. First, blessed are the merciful, those who have mercy. Blessed, where this begins, we've seen this word every time, and you've heard it over the last several weeks, but it's a common word that's best understood if we think of a, of a little phrase rather than a single synonym. So when you hear the word blessed, it's best to think about to be congratulated, even envied for your good situation. Such that someone would come up to you and say, wow, I wish I had what you have. You have the good life. They're congratulating you and even envying the good situation that you have. Blessed are those, and in this case, who? Those who are merciful. Those who are characterized by the attitude of mercy. Or we could say compassion. Another way we could define that word is compassion. Or pity which is actually a good thing. Mercy or compassion can be simply defined very simply as a kindness or concern for someone in need. A kindness or concern for someone in need. And we often think of it in conjunction with the word grace, mercy and grace. We put those together because they, they appear together a lot in the Bible and a lot in the context of salvation. And they are very similar. They're both about concerning kindness towards people in need, but they're a little bit different, and thinking of the difference can kind of help highlight what mercy actually is. So grace is more the giving of something desirable and needed that you don't have and don't deserve. So grace is more about giving something, while mercy, in a sense, is the opposite, a relieving of something, a taking off of something undesirable that you already do have. So they're close, but they're almost, almost opposites in the sense of, you can think of grace gives a sandwich, mercy relieves hunger. You see how they're, they're so close, they're right there together, but they're a little bit different. And mercy, as you see in that example, it kind of conceptually, it, it actually comes first that somebody sees the need and is moved towards that, that, that loss or that shortage or that suffering. Something's befallen someone and you see that, you want to move towards it, and then maybe grace follows on after that as you give something. 
Mercy comes first. And, note this, mercy starts in the heart with an attitude of mercy. That's what this verse is actually emphasizing. Not just do merciful things, but it's about being merciful, a merciful one. I, I could give a sandwich, uh, something gracious, or I could seek to relieve hunger, something merciful, but I might do that because I work for the Red Cross. It's my job and I'm on the clock. And I've done this day after day after day. I, I don't even think about it anymore. Or you might do something that you actually hope to relieve a, a problem, but you might do it just intermittently when somebody asks you or twists your arm perhaps to come and join up with some project. It, if it's not actually, though, in here, in the heart, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Just doing of the things. He's about what's going on in here within the heart. The abiding heart of mercy, the heart of compassion. In here, pitying the lowly, the hurting and the afflicted. Kindness or concern towards others starts in here, in the heart. And if it's real, it will, of course, come out. It will be expressed in some way or another. It'll... It'll come into action. But it's first and foremost, like all the Beatitudes, like the teaching of the New Testament, Jesus is first after our hearts, what characterizes us as his people. And here. So the one who has mercy, the merciful one, is first one who has a heart that is kindly and compassionately with pity, seeing the need, seeing the hurt, the loss, the shortage around, and then moves towards that to help relieve that in some way as appropriate. And that's an important qualifier, as appropriate, because there's always a danger we could go too far with this. Too far because there are other realities even other beatitudes that put a, a, a framework, that put a boundary around the idea of mercy. I mean, we hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? That's the verse right before this. The previous beatitude, hunger and thirst for righteousness. So mercy can't include unrighteousness. Can't attempt to help people in an unrighteous way that would intentionally break God's law or would intentionally be unloving or hurtful towards other people. Now, God Himself is supremely righteous and God Himself is supremely merciful. So we, we, we know these two things can fit together, they, they can coexist. That's complicated and it's going to make us think in a hundred situations about how, how do I behave here mercifully in behalf, on behalf of righteousness. It's going, to, it's going to be difficult, but the point is they can coexist and that needs to be thought of, remembered as a boundary around mercy as appropriate. And secondly, as appropriate, that also might help us remember something else. These Beatitudes are about Christian characteristics. As we, the Christians, live in the world, as you, a Christian, live in the world individually, as an individual. Maybe not as somebody acting on behalf of another. What I mean is, suppose that you are an individual Christian and you're also a courtroom judge. 
Mercy as an individual Christian acting on behalf of yourself is going to be different than mercy as a judge acting on behalf of others. You can, if you would so choose, you can choose to give up your own personal rights, to overlook your own personal rights, but you can't choose to give up the rights of the plaintiff or to give up the rights of the defendant or to give up the rights of the whole legal system in, in totality. You're a person in a role. And if, if that role gives you leniency to make some sort of judgment call, then sure. But you have to remember, I can turn my own cheek, my own other cheek, but I can't turn his cheek for him. And I'm a representative of him or of them. Our offices, our roles, our jobs... They may help us define what is appropriate. Righteousness and justice may help us define what is appropriate. And all those things need to be kept in mind. They are the boundary around mercy. But our main task this morning here is not to focus on the boundary, but to focus on the center, on the positive core. Be merciful. All around us, this isn't news to anybody, but Consider this. All around us is a world that's troubled. We live in a fallen world. And everywhere you look, you see physical and material need of all kinds, and emotional need and spiritual need. Put the words out there, the, the labels that we use, put them all out there, hunger and disease and abuse and child neglect and homelessness and mental illness and addiction and substance abuse and sexual and gender confusion and human exploitation, even trafficking and violence and war and greed and crime and traffic accidents and the decline of aging and we have fewer specific words for this, but all the social and relational wreckage that's hiding behind great wealth and power and sophistication. That's our world, plus a thousand things I didn't mention, right? That's the world. There are, thankfully, there are good and beautiful things here too, but you don't need mercy in the midst of that stuff. You need mercy in the midst of the wreckage sin and its consequences, and that's everywhere all around us. It's the air we breathe. And here's a challenge, I think, at least for me, probably for most of us. You hear those words, you see those words alive around you, and a lot of us, at least me, Something in us is inclined to say, you know, a whole bunch of that, frankly, is due to the foolish and sinful choices of people. And I, I look at that, we, maybe you, you look at that and we lean towards assigning responsibility, or really blame, and we lean towards, actually, justice. That's kind of how we tilt towards what is right and deserved towards judgment. But the merciful heart, hear this, looks 
past, merciful heart looks past assigning responsibility first. Who is poor and homeless because she deserves it due to her poor choices? And who is poor and homeless through no fault of her own? Never mind. Never mind, initially. The merciful heart just says, I see and I connect with poor and homeless. And the merciful heart looks at that and says, ah, now, Eventually, you do get around to, you, you have to, if you want to try to solve a problem, you have to figure out, why did this happen? Where did it come from? Where, what caused this? You have to get there if you're going to try to solve it after you've stepped forward to try to solve it because your heart of mercy moved you to engage with it. We do for sure get there, but the merciful heart first checks responsibility and assigning that at the door and says, I look out at a world and I see people all around, sees the mass of people all around as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and looks at them with kindness and concern. Like Jesus did when he looked at the mass of crowds all around him, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and the text says, was moved, moved inside with compassion, mercy. Mm. Not after he delineated who deserves this and who doesn't? All of them. That's how the merciful heart looks at people. As lacking a shepherd. So of course they lived harassed and they go astray. Another shepherd. Who's going to fight for them and lead them? It sees people as blinded by an enemy who is out to kill, steal, and destroy them. So, of course, they make poor choices. It sees people as captives and prisoners and realizes that the enemy here is not flesh and blood, not any of the flesh and blood, none of them, not flesh and blood, but in fact the spiritual forces of evil who stand behind them, who stand over them, and who control them and move them to do their own will. Of course, that's the non-Christian world, but actually that's still some of us in the Christian world too, to different degrees. Not captives, but influenced and attacked, sure. Tempted, not enslaved, but drawn, deceived. Yep, that's still, that's people. All of us harassed and helpless. Without a shepherd, we're finding it hard to follow the shepherd. This is how God, the God who describes himself as merciful, it's how he sees the world fallen and lost and he cares for it. And it moved him to act to relieve that suffering by sending his son. That son who came and indiscriminately healed he looked at that crowd and he indiscriminately healed the sick and the lame and the blind and the hungry while he preached the gospel to them and then went to the cross to enact the gospel that he was preaching. So as, what's the goal? To set captives free. To free them, us, from spiritual enslavement. And to give us the spirit to grow us up and to mature us, to increasingly free us. And then to turn us into merciful ones ourselves. to grow us increasingly into agents of mercy in his name.
the hurting world that's all out there, all around us, would be so helped by this if we would be like this. Last week, James preached on doing good to the city in which God has placed us, not angry at it, not at war with it, but here to bless it. And this would be a great way to be that sort of a blessing. To live around people with a heart of mercy towards them. To live in the midst of all of this, like Christ, seeking to bless, like the Good Samaritan, in fact, seeing people who were downcast and at great cost to self moving towards them. Like Stephen the Martyr, in fact. Stephen the Martyr, who when being stoned to death said what? Get them, Lord, these wicked people who are killing your servants. Nope. Lord, don't hold this against them. He prayed for them. While they bashed in his skull, he prayed for them. Echoing Jesus, who said, Lord, they don't know what they're doing. While they drove in the nail and the spear. That's a surprising attitude that would be a great blessing and really, really hard to compute in the world. And somebody surely would ask you for the hope that's in you. Where does that come from? What's the reason for that hope? Now, notice right here, I do not have any specifics about here's what you do to do that. This rather is a here's what you are to be. And I think that if we are that, and if we have that kind of an attitude and move towards people, what to do will arise. It'll, it'll appear. But generally speaking, I'm going to pull that together. Generally speaking, what it's going to look like is us seeing people from a position of meek humility, forgiving their offenses, hurting along with them and stepping forward to say, how can I help? And how you can help is going to vary on situation and timing within those boundaries. But a heart of mercy will move forward and will be a great blessing. Think of how that would change the relationship that you have with that guy at work who is so irritating. Or the gal that everybody avoids because she's so messed up. You know her, right? You know her. She's so messed up, nobody talks to her because she's a walking disaster. Even if, especially if, everybody also knows it's just it's her own fault. Because she does X and says Y. It's her own fault. Mercy in that situation would be a great blessing and would be really hard to understand. And that's what God calls us to. To step into the lives all around us, the world that's all around us with a heart of mercy. How can I help? Now, one of the burdens of the modern media world is that at a click of the button, all of the problems of the entire world are delivered to your eyesight and Everything can be your problem. That's not what I'm talking about. Jesus does not call you to step into all the problems of all the world and fix them all. You live in a place around some people in a neighborhood. You have a job. You, you go to school. In those places, those people. 
a heart of mercy that steps forward humbly and says, how can I help? It would bring relief to those around you and would be so hard to understand that surely somebody would say, where does that come from? That's bread and butter evangelism, you'll recall from Peter. When people are coming at you and things are hard and still you step into it graciously, humbly, in love to help and people say, that's not normal. Where does that come from? Be ready to give an answer. A heart of mercy in the world. So, Christian, how much of that's in you? How much of that Christ-like heart is in you? Are you merciful like this? As with each of these Beatitudes, the answer surely is a mixed one. Because, to some degree, you are a Christian. The Spirit of God lives in you. His attitude, his, his perspective, his life is alive in you. And so you do see people like he does. And you do have mercy on them, Christian and non-Christian alike. So to some degree, the answer is, yes, that is in me. But of course, the rest of the answer is, but not completely, not like I would want it to be, not like he would want it to be. So there's, there's room to grow. There's, there's maturing that needs to be done. So how does that happen? How do we grow in this heart of mercy? Well, it's helpful at this point to notice that this is the fifth beatitude. It sits on top of the first four on purpose. Jesus is not just throwing out random sayings here and there. And none of these are meant to be plucked out individually and taken in isolation. They are a composite, and they are in order, building one on the other to show us what the Christian character is like. This one, number five, comes after the first four on purpose. So if you move through the first four, that's how you get to five. And if you find yourself lacking, go back. Verse three. Beatitude number one. Go back. Some of us, this is review, but for others, maybe this is the first time you've heard this. Look back at verse three. The first beatitude. You've got to start here if you want to grow in a heart of mercy. Christian, who are you? What are you? So very, very small, living our lives. Remember, spliced into the middle of the postage stamp, stuck on the beach ball, in a solar system, in a galaxy, in a universe, and we brought nothing to the table, not a thing. Poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, so weak and so small and so dependent. The first beatitude, if you step into that and engage with it, it breaks us and humbles us in our finite, frail nature. I'm just not that big. Take a seat, Christian. In a good, not a, not a confrontational way, remember? Not a confrontational way, but in a, just take a seat. We're not that much. And the second beatitude, Verse 4, we're led to mourn over our sin, our own sin, 
broken and then humbled in a different way by that, that the God who made all of this and the God who, who draws near to us in our poor, poverty of spirit, we are still, in fact, sinning against him every day of our lives. It's a grievous thing. Mourning over our sin. And verse 5, then meek, broken in a different way now, not just before God, but before other people. As we see, here's, here's what I am before other people, and I'm, I'm not to use my power to exalt me, but I use my power, whatever it is that I have in life, my life is for other people. I am meek and lowly before them, and hungering and thirsting for righteousness, which I desperately need because that's where life is found, and I don't have it. It's not me, I'm not righteous. All of that, all together, this is, is the whole nature of the Christian. The person who has walked through those first four Beatitudes and grasps all that, sees him or herself, you, you understand your standing, that this is the nature of the Christian. I, I'm a person who lives here small and frail, sinful and broken, lowly and lacking righteousness. I have nothing, I am nothing, I bring nothing to the table But God looked upon you. This is not bad news. This is, this is the truth. And it's so good because God looked upon you. God saw you like that and looked upon you and drew near, not in justice, drew near in mercy. We sang it, I'm glad we sang it this morning. There was mercy in his eyes as he looked upon you and saw this world, saw us, saw you, lowly and lacking in great need and said, I see that and I care deeply about it and I will step into it to engage it. And when you grasp all of that, you say, oh my goodness. And like Paul then in 2 Corinthians what you find is I have spiritual glasses on now and I regard no one, not myself, not God, not anybody else from a worldly point of view anymore because I see everything so very differently. I see him as a gracious and merciful God who drew near. What is, what is man? What am I that you would even notice me or let alone care? But you drew near and you acted to deliver me into the kingdom of heaven, to forgive me of my sin and comfort me with great joy and to give me actually a satisfaction that is full and wide. I have the earth and everything in it and I am righteous in your eyes all because of the mercy of God. Christian, that's you because of the mercy of God for you. And if you don't care about that, you might not be a Christian. Did you hear that? If you don't care about that, you might not be a Christian. Because that's the most alarming reality and the sweetest, sweetest gift. That poor, sinful, lowly, unrighteous, broken you would be an heir of heaven. Sit in that and soak in it and put on spiritual glasses and regard not yourself nor him nor anyone else around you according to the flesh anymore. 
We have the kingdom and everything because of the mercy of God. And right there then you look up and you see all the crowds coming at you. And if you've sat in that and soaked in that and grasped that, then there's also mercy in your eyes like Christ's mercy is in Christ's eyes. And if not, or not enough, or you found yourself weak and lacking, circle back to Beatitude 1 and walk through them again. They out there, all of them all, are just like you. And you're just like them. It really is the truth that apart from the mercy and grace of God, there you'd be going. They're just like you and you're just like them except you're graced with Christ because of the mercy of God and you're growing. You're still just like them, but you're different than them. But you're like them, but you're different. Are they all going to be saved? No. Are some of them going to take advantage of you when you step towards their mercy? Of course, sure, yeah. But God can handle justice, and he will eventually. It's okay. His call to us now is mercy as appropriate within some boundaries that are important, but mercy, to be merciful like he is. And the key to that, the key to the heart of mercy, where it comes from planted in us and how it grows, is this whole combination of all these beatitudes up to this point and including even the promise that is the second half of verse 7, our second point this morning. Called to be merciful. And then secondly, merciful ones can rest knowing that they will receive mercy themselves. Merciful ones can rest knowing that they will receive mercy themselves. This is the good life. A life of rest, even when Put yourself in this. Even when you, we, you see your own sin and everything that's all around in the world all messed up, you see all the suffering and all the hardship and all the pain that results from sin and the general messed up nature of the world, and you live in the middle of that. And if you, for a second, look at it and take it in, Have you done that? You look at it and you take it in. What's wrong with you or what's wrong out there? You, you look at it, you take it in, and there's so much worry and anxiety and even despair that it can produce in you. About yourself, and you realize, if you can realize it and admit it, I'm messed up and it's my own fault and I deserve everything that could happen to me. That spot. Or... I'm so vulnerable in the world that's all around me and everything out there is not good and it's coming at me and if I were to step forward and try to engage with that, it's like stepping out into a rainstorm and hoping that I stay dry. The way to stay dry is to stay inside. I'm going to get wet. I know it because look. Either when looking at yourself or looking at all the world around you that's coming at you, there's so much anxiety and, and even just kind of a hopelessness, a despair. 
to right in that spot be able to say, and no, and you could write K-N-O-W and underline that, to know it's gonna be all right. That's great rest. You know, there's a lot of people say, it's gonna be all right, with no logical reason whatsoever to think that. Probably gonna be okay, I think, sure. Why? Because it is. No, it isn't, actually. It's not gonna be all right. Except, Christian, for you and for this truth, K-N-O-W, I know it's gonna be all right. That is rest. Look at all this, but it's going to be all right. And actually, better than all right, it's going to be good and great even. You will be satisfied as a full heir of the kingdom. Not because you fix things. Not because you deserve something that's better. It's going to be all right because God is going to give you mercy. In the future. The tense here is future. He's not actually talking about the mercy that he gave you when he saved you. He's talking about something that will happen. He will give you. You will receive mercy tomorrow, next month, and forever. This is the good life, to be able to look out at all of that, all of what's wrong with you, and all of that's pressing in on you and is wrecking your life, and that happens. And to be able to say, and K-N-O-W, know that it's going to be all right, actually better, it's going to be awesome. I'm an object of mercy. That's what is true of you, Christian. That's who you are an object of mercy. This is a product of the gospel for you. In hearing this should be great encouragement to you for your rest. And it also should be motivation. It, it should be great motivation to you. This is often how the Bible works, how God deals with us as he, as he shows us his promises. He lays them out in front of us and says, this is the path that I'm calling you to. This is the path you walk on with me. And let me just highlight on this path a few of the promises, and you can see them out there. They're not, they're not here yet, but you can see them out there. And I, I tell you, if you walk down there, you'll grab that one. And you walk down there and you grab that one. And what does that do? It keeps us persevering on the path. How God preserves his people is by laying the promises in front of us, and it moves us, it resonates with our new hearts, and with our new eyes we can see them, and it's how he draws us on. So there is great motivation in this to see that on this path I find a merciful, omnipotent one who loves me and will, 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 will shower mercy on me. There's great motivation, but the primary reason it's here is to give you great encouragement. Because, like with each of the preceding Beatitudes, life gets harder if you actually engage with them. In each of these Beatitudes, there's two parts, and the first part, if you actually engage with it, makes things much harder without the second part. And so God always puts the second part in there to help you, to encourage you, 
to kind of strengthen you to engage with the first part. You can hear it in the first beatitude. Poverty in spirit, lowly. If you embrace that, it can be, and I think for some of us was kind of like deflating. So then he says, ah, wait, I gave you the kingdom. You're nothing, but you're an heir. It helps you embrace and, and actually get real about the first part. Mourning for sin. I mean, I, I throw people kind of push back on that one a little bit. Mourning for, ah, but you'll be comforted. I forgive. Uh, really. Meek, lowly. I'm going to set myself beneath other people. Yeah, but I'm going to give you the earth and everything in it. Well, same thing going on here. Take heart, you merciful one, because as you move towards other people to help them and try to heal them and try to seek what would be good, and it gets complicated, but I don't know what, but I'm going to step into it. It's going to be costly to me, and I'm going to try to draw them into a relationship with God. That's going to bring you a whole bunch of heartache and trouble, and people are going to take advantage of you. People are going to use you. You're going to find yourself out of time and out of money and afflicted. People are going to persecute you and make fun of you. That's going to, yeah. Or on the flip side, surely somebody alongside of you is going to say, dude, this is your chance to get them. That person's been so mean and evil to you, and here now is the opportunity, and you're going to pass that by, like David in the cave looking at Saul. And passed by the chance to do justice. To engage with this is going to be hard. And you would, avoid, you would avoid a whole lot of pain and suffering if you just said, the world out there is messed up. Click. I'm safe. Behind my locked door. But if you step into the world to engage it in mercy, or if you step into the world to engage it in justice, things will go better. But he's called you to mercy, and that means he's called you to the hard path. And so to help you with that, he says, but take heart, merciful one. You will receive mercy, not from them, from me. I'll move towards you one day to finally and fully wipe away every tear and stitch together every cut and fill up every lack. My heart is big for you. This is the Lord and what he says to you, Christian. My heart is big for you. I weep with you when you weep. I feel your hurts as if they are my own. I'm moved with deep compassion for you. I have not left you. I have not abandoned you. I'm right with you. I care, and I will in one day wipe away every tear. That will happen as I pour out mercy on you and relieve you and then graciously deliver to you everything. Take heart. Christian, you're an object of mercy. God's mercy. And if you can't see it operative right now, it's coming. But of course, the fact that it's coming also means that it is a little bit operative right now if you have eyes to see it, because that's who he is. And it's who he is with you and for you right now. So you can expect not only like a massive deposit of mercy at the end, but you can expect that with this life, there, also, there will be pains and hardships, but there also will be present with you the merciful Christ to help. Now, especially then, 
but all through life now. He will bring you into his mercy even now every day. So, faithful mercying. Mercy from faith. It's actually what counts for the Christian life. I think we alluded to it in one of our songs, but there is, there is a linguistic connection between the words mercy and love. Paul taught us, did he not, that what counts is faith living itself out as love. It's what counts. This is the first pivot in these beatitudes of how we are living with the world because this is the thing that counts for us, that we be a people out there, love, love, love. That's what comes out of us. And where that comes from out of me is by depending on the God who is in love, faithfully mercying me. Giving to me, to you, what you need to give away, what you need to sustain you while you give away. It's all true for you because Christ and mercy came to deliver you from condemnation and from judgment and from awful alienation from God, the one who is your life. Christ was sent here by God in mercy and was shown no mercy by God. So that you could be an object of mercy and then an instrument of mercy, living the good life now and always and supremely one day. Blessed are the merciful. You. Blessed are the merciful, for you shall receive mercy. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.